Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're in Ephesians 4 and this will be our last Sunday working our way through this great line from the Nicene Creed and looking in Ephesians. So I'm in Ephesians chapter 4 and I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Hear God's word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every word of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. (sighs) Heavenly Father, this is the goal. This is what we desire. When we come together as a church body, when we knit ourselves together as a family, we want to be on a journey together of building each other up in love so that we will attain the fullness of the stature of Christ himself. You want us to grow into the image of your son. That's what you delight to do. And so I pray that you would do so more and more in our church body. We ask in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, as I said, is our final Sunday. We've been working our way through that great line from the Nicene Creed that we've said every week, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We've taken one word, we've studied it in the book of Ephesians, five words, five sermons, and today is our final one. If you had missed any of those and you want to see them, you can find them on our church website. But finally, we say today with the creed that we believe in an apostolic church. We believe in an apostolic church. Now, when we say that, when we say apostolic, we mean something about where we came from and something about where we're going. When we say apostolic, we mean that we come from, as a church, the apostles. We look back to the 12 men ordained by God who were witnesses of Jesus, who followed Jesus, who could testify about Jesus, and they left us with inspired scripture that we can build on as a foundation for our faith. When we say apostolic, we mean we're a church that is based on the apostles. It means something about where we came from, but it also means something about where we're going. Not only do we build our foundation on the apostles, but we move forward in the spirit of the apostles to take on their mantle and to present everyone mature in Christ. That was the aim of the apostles. That becomes our aim as an apostolic church. We want to be disciple-making disciples in a church-planting church. That's apostolic work that God gives us to do. Now, In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us very plainly what an apostolic church should look like. He He says, gifted members equip saints that build up the church. You've got gifted members 
who equip saints that then build up the church. There's three ideas there, and I just want to look at each idea in turn. Let's start with the first one, gifted members. Now, we didn't read verse 7, but if you look back in verse 7, it says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So when we're talking about spiritual gifts, we understand from verse 7, every single believer has spiritual gifts. Every single member has spiritual gifts. In fact, if you do a study of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, you will find that there's actually five lists of spiritual gifts. Different books, different writers, they have five lists of gifts. And if you kind of put all them together on one page and you crossed out the ones that were similar to each other, you would have a list of 20 possible spiritual gifts. Now, just the way that the writers kind of almost haphazardly lists the spiritual gifts. There are some here, there's some mentioned over here, there's some mentioned over here. We kind of understand that even those 20 don't capture all the spiritual gifts that could be present in the church, but the point of each author is the same. Every single person has spiritual gifts. There's a bunch of gifts to choose from that God could give us. Every single member has them, and all of them are important to the body of Christ. What Paul wants to do, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is to not make a point about all the gifts. He wants to highlight five spiritual gifts for a very specific purpose. That's what he does in verse 11. There's the gifts. He wants to talk about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Let's let's think about each of these gifts. Now, this is really debated, but I believe apostles and prophets refers to New Testament apostles, as we just talked about, and Old Testament prophets of God. I think that because back in Ephesians 2, verse 20, Paul says that the church, the body of Christ, we are a temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So when he says apostles and prophets, I don't think he's talking about people in this room right now. I think he is using that as synonymously with the word of God. The apostles and the prophets, what was written in scripture for our benefit, which has been closed for all time. In that respect, there will be no new apostles and prophets. There will be no new inspiration to add to God's word. And every word that's spoken in the church about faith and life and godliness must find its origin in this book. We have the apostles and the prophets. They are the foundation. That's where we go to find what we say about growth and godliness. I had a theology professor in seminary who would often talk about, he taught theology, and he would talk about the radically non-speculative nature of theology. Isn't that a great phrase? The radically non-speculative nature of theology, and what he meant in layman's terms was, we don't wing it. We're not inventive. We don't come up with new things. We base all of what we know and say and believe firmly in scripture because that foundation has been laid in the apostles and the prophets. We bank our words today on this word. 
So it's no surprise then that after Paul has talked about the apostles and prophets, he goes on to really highlight for his purposes three speaking gifts in the church. We're talking about words and the truth of these words. Paul highlights evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those gifts, they exist in many different forms, in many different ways in our church today. And you could kind of see a progression in those spiritual gifts, right? You could imagine the evangelists as those who go forth. They proclaim good news. They tell people about who Christ is. And as those people begin to gather, even in this room on Sunday morning, you then have pastors who speak to both believers and unbelievers alike. We have people who are attending here on Sunday morning who know Christ and trust in Christ and people who don't know if they know Christ and trust in Christ. And the pastor is the one to continue to draw us all deeper into a knowledge of Christ and hopefully, Lord willing, into a saving knowledge of Christ. And then you have teachers that take it from there and they begin to delve even deeper into learning the deep truths that are in scripture. All together with an evangelist and a pastor and a teacher, you have a church that puts a lot of weight on spirit-filled words. God's going to take words based on his word, filled with his spirit, and he's going to do the work of the church. It is one of the key means of grace in our lives. Truth speaking, truth from God's word is one of those key means. Now, I think some of us would hear this and we would like to stop at point one. We've heard a lot about a talking and a speaking ministry and that's attractive to a lot of us. What if we became a teaching church? Like, what if we could hire the best pastors and teachers that money could buy? What if we could offer the best Sunday school curriculum that a church could possibly offer? What if we were able to stuff our membership with so much knowledge that they sounded like seminarians? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that apply itself to Ephesians 4 that we are a knowledgeable church that we know God's word? That's all wonderful and good. But according to Ephesians 4, it is only good so long as the teaching bears fruit in the doing. The teaching will not be an end in itself. It will not stop inside the classroom. It can only be a means to an end. The teaching will find its fruit in the doing. That's why we have point two. Point one, gifted members. Point two, they equip saints. So why do we have these speaking gifts that are running around teaching and preaching and evangelizing and doing this work? Verse 12 tells us the exact reason for this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is why all of this is happening. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's kind of like when your boss drops into your cubicle during the week and he says, let's try to clean out this inbox by the end of the week. You've heard that from your boss before. And your mastery of workplace pronouns will lend itself to your workplace survival. When your boss says we, he means you. Like, you do this. I'm going to be in my corner office playing solitaire. You clean out the inbox by the end of the week, right? We understand that. 
Now, that's not exactly what's happening here. It's not the evangelists and the pastors and teachers who are the bosses and giving orders. They are fellow servants who also follow these instructions. But an apostolic church is a change of mindset. It's not just about where we came from. It has something to say about where we're going. When I come to church on Sunday morning, and Lord willing, I hear apostle-soaked preaching, or when I go to life group and I engage in teaching that is founded on the apostles and the prophets, they are not an end in themselves. When Sunday is done, the show is not over. When life group is done, that is not an end in itself. They are big, fat expectations that we as the membership will now go and do. The teaching bears its fruit in the doing. The saints being equipped to do the work of ministry. Every single member of the church has something to contribute. We would hear that in verse 16, where he says the whole body, every joint, each part, whole, every, each. You could think about the church like a play, and every single member has a speaking part. Everybody's got something to say and contribute. If I'm a member of this church, and I don't have avenues of speaking, Like, I'm not talking about these things to my spouse and to my kids. Like, I'm not participating and engaging with this in the life group that God has given me. If I'm not following up with other members who have needs, if I'm not seeking to reach out to a neighbor and to speak to them about God, I am missing half the equation. I've become a member that's all take and no give. The apostolic nature of this church has been stunted. Sunday morning is a boot camp that prepares us as believers to go and do the work of ministry. That's what we're doing right now. That's the expectation. This is the preface, and you guys will live the first chapter in your week as you go and do the work of ministry. You've got, number one, gifted members. You've got, number two, equipping saints. Number three, that they build up the body of the church. When this thing starts humming, like when you have people who recognize that they have spiritual gifts, that the teaching is not an end in itself, but it's meant to propel them forward to do this kind of work, and they own that, and they begin to do that work in our body, something beautiful begins to happen in the church. I want to say a word about what members do, and then I want to say a word about what our membership becomes. Here's something what we do, and here's something about what we become. Number one, what our members do. What do I do? I've been preached to, I've heard teaching, what do I go and do? Paul could sum up a significant part of the ministry of the church in four words. Speak truth in love. If you will take this as a member of this church and you will rely on the Holy Spirit to go forth from here and be the kind of person that speaks truth in love one to another, it is not possible to overstate 
the profound impact that that will have on our church and on our city. Members who speak truth in love. You couldn't possibly overstate what that could do. The problem is, most of us are wired with one of those and not the other, right? Most of us lean towards one side or the other. Either we're a truth person or we're a love person. I bet you could divide the congregation in half, right down the middle, between truth people and love people. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say this? Do you instantly know? Can you categorize yourself? Am am I a truth person or a love person? I'm going to lean towards one or the other. Which one am I? Since that's true of every single person in this room, I think it's okay for me to just make fun of both groups of people, right? I mean, that's totally appropriate, that we can laugh at ourselves. Truth people, they are straight-talking people. Truth people are justice people. And the caricature of a truth person is very extreme. They come from New Jersey. (laughs) They listen to talk radio. They love to argue with people. They carry around truth like a billy club. When their wife buys a new dress and says, how does this look? They say it adds about 10 pounds, maybe 12. I thought you wanted to be honest. A truth person would rather hurt somebody than mislead somebody. I don't mind the damage as long as I'm being honest with you. Anything less than the truth is absolutely unthinkable and sometimes love and mercy are acceptable casualties of telling it like it is. Truth people can leave bodies in their wake. Truth people can do a lot of damage in the church. On the other side of truth people, you have love people. And love people are horrified by truth people, right? Because love people are people people. They're mercy people. They love and adore mercy. Love people, they're a bunch of hippies. They're all peace pipes and drum circles. They're people pleasers. They're back scratchers. They're brown nosers. They're pushovers. They would rather someone think well of them than think rightly of them. They would rather spare someone pain today, even if it is going to cause them more pain tomorrow. In the twisted name of love, they would rather resent someone than confront someone. Each of us falls in one of those categories. Each of us could own to some measure some of those descriptions. Each of us know that's how we're wired and those things are true of us. And left to our own devices to fall on one side or the other, that would be an absolute disaster for this church. A bunch of truth people on one side, a bunch of love people on the other side. And so Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he steps in the aisle and says ever so gently to the church, you don't get to choose. Like I know you're wired one way and that's really sweet, but you can't retreat into your wheelhouse and be comfortable there. Church membership, doing life with one, with another, is going to cost everybody in this room something, and there's too much at stake not to enter into it fully. We got to learn, truth people, to be love people. We've got to learn, love people, to be truth people, apostolic members, Speak truth in love. 
if that's what members are able to do, if by God's grace they begin to change and he begins to break down some of those hard edges from us and we begin to move towards the center of being a truth and a love person together, there are beautiful things in store for a church body. There's no time at all to do justice to the list of what is going to be true of that church that Paul gives. But I want us just for a minute to set our eyes on the horizon and know this is where this entire awkward, painful, hurtful, surprising, beautiful life in the body of Christ is heading. These are the things that are going to be true of us. Verse 16, every single one of us is going to begin to find our place. Everyone has gifts. We're going to learn what those gifts are and we're going to begin to use them in the church and everyone will play the role that God has meant us to play. Verse 16 again, we're going to be a church that builds ourselves up in love. We're going to be described like the Thessalonian church where Paul and his friends say about that church, everywhere we go, we report that we hear that your love for one another, it just grows and grows and grows and it is a massive encouragement to us. Verse 14, even though for the rest of our lives we're going to be bombarded by falsehood, We're going to be bombarded by fear and doubt and anxiety and unbelief. Those voices in this kind of church are going to begin to lose their power. They won't have the hold on us they once had. They won't direct our lives like they once directed them. We're not going to be tossed to and fro by false doctrine anymore. And then finally, verse 13, best of all, we're going to grow to know the Son of God. We're going to grow to know Jesus himself. So much so that right now you could describe us as infants and children. We don't know anything. We haven't experienced anything. But God has us on this journey that he wants to grow us to full-grown adults that will be ready to enjoy the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this God promises he will do through one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to be this kind of body. And we do not have the resources within ourselves to become what you're calling us to be. And so I pray these truths upon us, that by your Holy Spirit, you would make us a membership that responds to our evangelists, our pastors, our teachers, that we will go and do, that we will be people who speak truth and love one to another, that we'll be people who can hear truth and love one to another, and that when that begins to happen, you will grow us up into the full measure of Christ. We plead with you in Jesus' name. Amen.